0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. We probably didn't come today hoping for a sermon on murder and anger, much less one on adultery and divorce. And I can assure you that I did not spend this past week filled with some great desire to give you one. But in the Episcopal Church, we have the Revised Common Lectionary. And so on the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany in year A, we get the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, verses 21 through 37. And here, right after the Beatitudes and his comments on salt and light, Jesus addresses just these issues. But at its heart, Jesus' teaching today is not concerned, or at least not primarily concerned, with murder and anger, divorce and adultery. Now at the heart of Jesus' teaching today is actually a deep concern for how these things have a tendency to abuse and defile the precious relationships in our lives and the harm we cause when we compromise the trust that is in these relationships. We all know that anger is a powerful force. Just look in our cities, on the news, you can find stories and incidents of anger everywhere. In road rage and fights erupting over Black Friday sales, in hate crimes and in deadly shootings, Even the world of politics today seems to be anger driven, but not all anger is bad. Jesus was angry at the Pharisees and scribes, those religious leaders of his day, when they enslaved the people under an unbearable burden of rules and requirements. Remember that moment in the temple when Jesus drove out the money changers and the merchants? Well, some might call that righteous anger. And this righteous anger even manifests in our own lives when we get angry about unjust systems that support racism or homophobia or sexism or xenophobia. But to be clear, this is not the kind of anger that Jesus is referring to in our gospel reading today. Instead, Jesus is talking about the anger that is ego-driven, filled with jealousy and resentment, anger that is born of fear and greed. It's the kind of anger that suppresses the truth and oppresses others, causes pain and suffering and pumps up the self while belittling the other. Jesus also has some pretty strong words about adultery and divorce. And while we have countless examples of this playing out in our world, perhaps even in our own lives, I would invite us to expand our notion of what Jesus is talking about beyond just the destruction of marriage covenants. Maybe we have never been divorced. Or if we have, maybe there was good reason and it was necessary, because sometimes that is the reality. But there's a deeper question here. Have we treated another as disposable, here today and gone tomorrow, as if we had no need of them and they had no inherent value? How do we adulterate relationships and trusts in our lives. That word adultery comes from the Latin adulter, which means literally toward the other. Do we do things in our lives that corrupt our relationships, drawing us away from one and towards the other in unhealthy ways? The old French word, where our modern English word comes from, which I can't begin to pronounce, bears this further implication of polluting that which is clean. All of this undermines our relationships with others, and ultimately our relationship with God. Relationships, those are the key, I think, to uncovering what Jesus's lesson is really all about. This lesson from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is a really difficult text for us to grapple with. It's not necessarily vague or cryptic, but it's hard. Jesus sticks our face right into the Ten Commandments. Remember those? And then just when Jesus and then Jesus just intensifies the weight of the requirements. Insisting that there's no way we can sidestep them. If we actually look at the verses immediately before what we hear on anger and divorce, Jesus makes it clear. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is quite clear. He came to fulfill or to complete what had already been started, not to abandon it or wipe it away. And so he begins this powerful commentary on just what it means to live as a citizen in God's kingdom. Jesus had already spoken about the importance of making peace and of seeking after righteousness. He spoke about the blessedness of being meek and pure and merciful. He charged us with being salt and light. and He now addresses the danger of unbridled anger that leads us in unhurtful and harmful directions. And finally, he outlines the perils of damaging the honor that should be associated with the connection of two people, especially in that unique connection we call marriage. Now traditionally, this powerful speech has been interpreted in two quite different ways. One interpretation has Jesus urging his disciples to take the law far more seriously than even the Israelites of old ever imagined. In this view, Jesus is establishing a new law that exceeds and extends the Ten Commandments. This approach insists that faith in Jesus is a kind of spiritual steroid that allows us to do what pious Jews in Jesus's day could not do. The second interpretation claims that Jesus is taking the law to an impossible extreme demonstrating that we could never possibly fulfill all its demands. We cannot therefore point to our own accomplishments, but instead must see that we are wholly dependent on grace. This interpretation ends up being a little discouraging and leads to the conclusion that maybe it doesn't really matter what we do at all. So I'm not really sold on either of these interpretations. The first completely misses the mark, I think, of the movement that Jesus began. Because Jesus' greatest concern was never about obeying every law, rule, or commandment, but about building the kingdom of God. And the second approach, while closer to my understanding, has that tendency to relinquish us with any responsibility for our actions. So what do we do? With Matthew 5. As I said, I'm not convinced that Jesus's greatest concern was that we pour ourselves into obeying every law, rule, and commandment. Instead, I think our Lord's greatest concern was that we strive to build the kingdom of God here and now right in our midst. And the first thing to remember that when we are talking about the kingdom of God, is that we are talking about relationships. So I would invite us then to think about the law of God, not in terms of doing a certain number of impossible things before breakfast, but in terms of building right or righteous relationships with God, with those around us, and with all of creation. It's not about your need to check all the boxes and follow all the right prescriptions. But instead, it really is about loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, by the way, when we properly read those Ten Commandments and all those hundreds of laws in Leviticus and Numbers, we might discover that their purpose is not actually to put restrictions on our lives, but actually to expand and enrich them. The first three commandments address our relationship with God and the last seven, our relationship with others. The whole law is a way to challenge us to honor those in whom we are in relationship. If we forget all this, if we forget all about the relationship aspect of it all, then there's a very real danger that we enter into some kind of spiritual competition with everyone we come across, competing to outdo the rest of the world with our own righteous achievements. But as soon as this happens, we can fall into that trap of too easily judging others who may not be able to achieve what we can. Jesus even addressed this danger when he says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. So people of St. John's Church, do not be afraid. The genius of the Sermon on the Mount is not that it places before us a checklist of Christian valor or even a model of the perfect Christian life. The genius of the Sermon on the Mount is that it brings us face to face with Jesus and through him, God's plan for our world. For it's only by living fully into this life, a life built on relationships, a life based on forgiveness and grace, that we are truly set free to be the people God created us to be. Amen.